0: Well, we're going to keep exploring a little bit this morning more of the idea of being called to be part of God's kingdom throughout the week. Uh, This idea that God has a plan, that God has things that he invites us to be part of, this huge, if you want, like recreation story. And that that every day, uh, in sometimes very obvious ways, like pastoring people in the film industry, sometimes very tiny ways, like probably standing in the line at the grocery store, God's got things for us to partner with him in. And um, I, I hope you're getting just a little bit excited about, like, Monday mornings and what that can look like. I did realize last week that I had said to you, like, you would tell the person next to you what you're going to be doing on Monday morning, and then I realized it was a federal holiday, so uh, well done. For, you probably had a great Monday this last week, uh, I imagine. Um, but I want to start with some bad news, and here's the bad news. The bad news is, is that you're not going to make it on your own. You will not manage this on your own. When uh, I was a little bit younger, my favorite band in the world was a band called Delirious. Anyone ever heard of Delirious? Yeah. They had this um, anthem. It was an anthem called History Maker. And me and my buddies, we would go along to big concerts, we would just church, this, we'd sing this uh, anthem out. We would sing it in the car. We'd sing it in our youth group. We'd proclaim it from the streets in our prayers. Like This was like our moment. And um, the words of it, the words of the chorus go like this. I'm going to be a history maker in this land. I'm going to be a speaker of truth to all mankind. I'm going to stand and I'm going to run and we were up for it. Like We were going to change the world as young people. Like Our schools were going to change. Our neighborhoods would change. Industries would change, because we were going to proclaim the name of Jesus. Um, and we would be all about it, usually um, until about 10 a.m. on the Monday morning afterwards, <laughs> when like the first school assignment or the first like, lecture we had to sit in or the first traffic jam or the first something had happened and all of that like fervor and that passion and energy and enthusiasm had like completely ebbed away and we felt like we didn't know how to be Christians anymore in that space. Over the years, if I'm honest, like many, many times I've had to reflect on the fact that world change is quite significant beyond me. That I don't have the power or the strength or the goodness, the wisdom, the ability, the resources, the good looks, the energy, the time to change the world. I wish I did. But actually, I don't know how to make the world a better place. And maybe, honestly, you don't either. Maybe none of us do. But here's the good news. That's actually okay. It's actually okay because that isn't really what we're here to talk about for these weeks. We're not here to tell you about a God who demands that you religiously slave away and give your absolute every ounce of your energy to banging away on people's doors and lives with megaphones and reforming industries so that one day when you get to the pearly gates, as the story always goes, that God would say, ah, there's Ben. He got a solid B+, not bad, a good person, let's let him into heaven. But that is not the Christian story, the idea that we can somehow please God or impress him with our actions. In fact, this whole story of being part of God's kingdom is radically different from that. And we're going to read about it this morning in in one of the most famous of all the passages in the whole Bible, one that you've probably read before if you've been in church, a prayer which gets repeated all over the world every day, the Lord's Prayer. Um, And so we're going to read, um, if you have your Bibles uh, right now, from Matthew 6. 9 to 14, Matthew 6, 9 to 14, and Adam's gonna read it for us. This is the word of the Lord. Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Thank you. So uh, depending on where you grew up, um, you probably heard that a few times before. I used to go to a school when I was a little kid and every single day in the non-Christian school we would stop and we would repeat that prayer together. In fact, I remember being quite offended at the age of 10 when they decided to change it from thy kingdom to your kingdom. I thought they'd ruined it somewhere along the way. We know this prayer, many of us. But I wonder if you've ever really stopped to think about what this means for Monday morning and Wednesday afternoon and Friday evening, because it's actually pretty massive and the implications are huge about not only how we pray, but how we live our whole lives. So this morning, I want to go through with it. We're going to go through just line by line to see what the implications for Monday morning might be. And it starts in a very powerful way. The first staggering truth of the Lord's Prayer is this, our Father in heaven. Here's the first staggering truth. We are sons and daughters of a heavenly Father, a loving heavenly Father. I don't know what your relationship with your dad is. Um, looking around the room, I'm assuming that most, if not all, of our dads were or are human beings. I'm not entirely totally sure of all everyone, but I think most of us, most of them were. And I'm assuming, therefore, that most, if not all, of them were somewhere between absolutely fantastic and not so much. That our dads have strengths and weaknesses. Some of them were on the better end of the spectrum, and some not so much. And when we think about God as a dad, that can give us some help, but it also hinders us in our approach. Because when we think about God as a heavenly father, particularly if our own dads were demanding or harsh or only ever pleased if we performed when we got it right or did what they said, then it gives us a very incomplete picture of what God is like as a heavenly father. Because what the Bible actually tells us is that God loves you hugely. He loves you unconditionally because he loves you. He loves you because he made you, because he's committed to you, because you're his. The God of Christianity says, actually, I am a God of patience, slow to anger, and I'm abounding in love. I don't know if you know God like that. That's who he is. Like I'm, I'm very blessed to have two kids. If you've been around, you'll have met them probably, a boy and a girl, and you'll be shocked to hear that even in a pastor's family, we have good days and bad days. <laughs> we have moments of great celebration and laughter, and we have the occasional tear in our house too. This week, both my kids separately came to me with their own business plans for the new entrepreneurial ventures they want to start. It was a moment of like se- of smiles and pride. 20 minutes later when they were fighting over which one of theirs was better, not so much. But the truth is that I love them anyway. I love them because they're mine, because they're a gift to me. I'm invited to love them unconditionally, even though I do it totally imperfectly. But God loves you five million times as much as I love my kids. He, the creator of the universe, loves you. He really loves you. if you don't hear anything else this morning, just take that. God loves you. He actually says this morning, like, Tim, he's my boy. Like, Seth, he's my boy. Like, Jacinta, she's my girl. Like, that's what God says of you. He loves you. In fact, he loves you so much that the threat that you might be divided and away from him and cut off from him because of our brokenness, because of our messes, was too much for him so that he ultimately gave his life. He went to the cross to take away that threat, to take away that punishment, to take away that brokenness, so that our identity, if we will enter into it, can be secure, can be guaranteed that we have a way to our Father in God that is unimpeding. And it's an incredible reality. Our identity is in God. Actually, even if our own relationships with our father are a mess, even if our own family situations are a mess, there is hope because we have a relationship with a good, loving father. And it's there. It's there the Lord's Prayer starts. And it has to start there. You can't really talk about doing anything, going anywhere, believing anything else until you can put your feet on the reality that you are loved. You are secure and you are safe in his arms. But here comes the next line of the Lord's Prayer, and it goes like this, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. It's about, in a sense, praying for our part in the Father's business. So the problem I always felt with the song History Makers as I reflected on it is that it sort of always wanted to position me as the history maker. It's sort of the idea that God exists to help me achieve my life goals. Right, God exists to get me what I need. He's the secret weapon along the way to world domination. The only problem is, like he just isn't. He just isn't. That's not how any of this works. Like, it's a little cheesy, but his story, his his story, you've heard that one before, right? It's not mine. And it's not yours. God does not exist to turbocharge my life. He invites me into his. He invites me into his. Which means that the first change that's always required when we find our identity in Christ is actually a change inwardly in us, recognizing that I'm a child of God and actually turning to his story, bowing down to say, you're God and I'm not. You're in control and I'm not. You have a plan and I don't. What you want and not what I want. But here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is that when we do that, God doesn't say, great, well done, sit in the corner and watch this. Actually, what God says to us, he's like, come on then, come on in, let's go. Let's do this together. He invites, he invites us into the family adventure, the family business, if you want. He says, we've got some things that we can do together. He doesn't need us. He doesn't require us. He's kind of capable and powerful on his own, but he includes us. And it's an enormous privilege to have a role to play in his kingdom. We are invited into his story. And when we get into the story, we realize that it's a big plan. We've spoken about it these last weeks, but notice the next line. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like it's an actual prayer for world transformation, kingdom change. See, as we get on God's page, as we realise it's his story and it's his plan, we start to get a vision for the enormity of what it might be that God wants to do. We realise that his will, as the prayer says, is actually nothing less than the restoration of all that's created. It's nothing less than the rescuing of all humanity, of the rebuilding of broken creation relationships, the reintegration of the human family with God. It's enormous. In fact, what God's will is, it's basically taking all those things of heaven, those things that we know to be true of the courtroom of heaven today. No pain, no suffering, justice, peace, love. All those things that are true in heaven today that will be true for all eternity for those who know and love Jesus. When he returns, we will get to experience them in their fullness. And actually, we're largely true in the Garden of Eden too. All those things that will exist or do exist elsewhere, we actually pray now. Now. Like we long for it now. The relationships of heaven. The worship, the beauty, the healing of heaven. Like everything that is true of heaven, we say, God, please could we glimpse it? Please could we grab hold of it? Please could we experience it today? Because we desperately need it. Theologian N.T. Wright, he says, the phrase kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God does not refer to a place called heaven where God's people will go after death. It refers to the rule of heaven, that is, of God being brought to bear in the present world. Thy kingdom come, said Jesus, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Jesus' contemporaries knew that the creator God intended to bring justice and peace to his world here and now. The question was how, when, and through whom. That's what God's about. It's what He's about. And it therefore means that He's about change. I don't know if you like change. So some people love change. Secretly, I love a new adventure, often, regularly. My wife Laura, not so much, uh, more, more of the slower paced change. But God does like change, He does. Not probably as frenetically as I like to change direction, but God in his own way, which is very not Amazon Prime or clickbaity, with his eternal worldview, with the omnipotent ability he has, wants to bring change to all cells and atoms and people on earth. He wants to bring his kingdom to bear. And we should be clear, like that's not a small thing. It's not like we hope that... Everybody has a good day. God's kingdom is not Ben when he's in a good mood and has had enough caffeine in the morning. Or California, now it's cooled down and it's sunny and beautiful and we can go to the beach. Like That's not what God's kingdom is really about. Jesus says it's upside down. It's a 180. It's a 180 from most worldly values. It's totally upside down. And therefore, it's different. There is no human entity, there's no human grouping of people, there never has been and there never will be, that will fully encapsulate the values of the kingdom, no group, team, community, friendship, nation, political party, no likes, anything, except for the kingdom, which is defined by itself, by God himself. And God invites us into it. But let's just take a moment to recognize how he invites us in. Recognizing what I said about the beginning of never really thinking that I can do this is that actually the primary way God says, join me in my kingdom is through prayer. It's through prayer. It is through the hotline, the communication that's open between us and God. It's about the relationship that we have through him. It's basically saying like, God, please would you, because I can't. Please would you, because this is beyond us. Come here quickly, now. Bring the kingdom of God, come to Israel and Palestine and Ukraine and to the streets and to our schools and to our families like nothing less and nothing more than everything of heaven. Please would it come because we so desperately need it. But it's kind of amazing if you've ever tried to pray a prayer like that. The God usually has a response and his response is not usually... No worries, Ben, sit in the corner and watch this. His response is normally this. Great, let's go. Let's go. Let's do it together. John Ruskin says, if you don't wish for his kingdom, don't pray for it. But if you do, you must do more than pray for it. You must work for it. We are invited into a partnership. A partnership with God, when our, um, when our kids were a little bit smaller, they absolutely loved to bake. Uh, it was like just the biggest thing in our house for a long time. And there always seemed to be a church event to make like cupcakes for. And so what would always happen is like the request for cupcakes would come in for something and the kids would be so excited. They would like charge to the kitchen, put on the little aprons and they'd go for it. Like, high levels of enthusiasm and commitment and self-belief. And so, like, flour and eggs and sugar would just start to fly in every direction. Like, the recipe book would be opened and then discarded somewhere, like food colorings, and whatever you can think of, it started to, like, be gathered together to make some concoction. Now, fortunately, what was really going on was that between them, around them, was Laura. Laura my wife, their mom. And as like, bits of eggshell would inevitably get towards the cake mixture, she would just quietly help put them onto the side. And as like, totally inedible ingredients were getting towards the cake mixture, she would just put them to the side. And as like, ingredients would be measured out completely badly so that people would probably get food poisoning, she just quietly remeasured the ingredients to make it work. By the end of the process, usually... Some beautiful cupcakes emerged. And the kids would always be so proud, like, look, Mom, look, Dad, look what we made. And in the corner would be Laura, like wiping her brow, like cleaning up the last counter from the stuff. The truth is, probably Laura did about 90%. The kids did 10, maybe, at best. But the cupcakes got made. It's kind of a silly illustration, but I think that's really how the partnership that God invites us into works. He wants us to be part of the story. The joy is in the process and the adventure, even if the reality is that 99.9% of the heavy lifting is being done by him along the way. He invites us into what he's about. But here's kind of the amazing thing is, is that then he does say, only here, he says, pray for yourself, pray for yourself along the way. Now, most people, I think, start at this point, but this is what, three quarters of the way through the story, Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Pray for what you need for today. I have to tell you, I'd probably write the prayer a bit differently. I mean, if I was writing the prayer, I'd be something like, unlimited access to the grocery store for a year would be my prayer. Like, whatever I need for the whole story for as long as I might need it, that's what I want. And yet, Jesus says, pray for daily bread. Daily bread. Now, (laughs) I think as Californians, we are well-equipped to understand how lowly bread is as a substance. I have never met a group of people who hate bread more than than Californians. Um, I have discovered in the last four years that unless the bread is slightly plump and in two halves so you can put meat in between it to make it a burger or it's round and flat so you can put cheese and tomato on top of it to make it a pizza, it should be discarded at all costs. (laughs) Seems to be the way it works here. Jesus says, pray for bread. Bread is sustenance. It's enough. It's not glamorous It's not beautiful. It's not exorbitant. It's just what you need. And Jesus says, don't pray for like the next 10 years worth to make sure it's all completely sewn up and you get everything you want and you'll be fine. Pray for just today, for just what you need. I mean, it's a pretty big challenge to people like me who like to strategize, to like to look forward, to like to control and know what the outcomes might be. Elsewhere, Jesus says, Like, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has plenty of worries for itself. Think about today. Be in the moment. Be here. Be now. Ask for what you need to walk into God's story where you are, wherever you are, whoever you are, today. It's pretty challenging, isn't it, when you think about it like that? Tomorrow has enough to worry about itself I remember, um, as I've told you these last weeks about my time in the car industry, and I told you about this, this incredible low moment in 2008 um, when we basically came within about an inch of bankruptcy. We were, we were done, really. And I tried everything. You know, I entrepreneured new things and restructured debt, and I'd formed new budgets, and I'd changed the staff team, and I'd done everything I could possibly think of to fix this business. But it was blatantly going down. I mean, it was basically at the end. And I remember just so anxious, like so broken, getting into the car to go to the office one morning. And I remember just saying like, God, this is it. Like I'm done. There's no way I can get beyond today. I'm done, let alone the business. Like we're, we're done here. I remember just simply saying, God, give me today my daily bread. Just give me what I need for this last day in the car industry. But the amazing thing happened when I did, prayed that prayer. And the amazing thing that happened was peace, actually. I've, I've never experienced anything like this before, but literally driving down the freeway, it was like the presence of God arrived in the car. As it turned out, in the surrender, in the recognizing that I didn't have any way to fix the problem, it was almost like God going... Okay, and now, and now, watch this. And it turned out that actually it wasn't the last day in the car industry at all. It was actually the first day. It was the first day of actually being ready to lead anything properly, of realizing that it was God who was doing the things that needed to happen and not me anyway. As over the weeks and the months to come, the company started to do really well and flew off into the distance and did fine, but the lesson was always there. Today, bread just what we need for every single day. I don't know what that means for you. I don't know where your head is at, where your anxieties are at, what the future feels like. But Jesus says, pray just for today, for the things that you need. Be in the moment. Secondly, he says, pray backwards. Pray backwards. But the praying backwards is actually for forgiveness for what went wrong. Forgive us our debts as we forget and forgiven our debtors. There's this incredible central building block of the Christian story, which is about forgiveness, right? The whole thing hinges on forgiveness. Basically, we say here every single week that whilst we deserved punishment for the messes we've made, whilst we deserved to have nothing to do with the Holy God, amazingly, he forgave us. And he continually forgives us. And he lavishes love on us even when we don't deserve it in the slightest. He loves us. And so when we pray, the thing that Jesus says is when you look back, probably you need to recognize that yesterday you didn't do it perfectly. (laughs) Probably yesterday you got a little bit caught up, not in the kingdom of God, but maybe you got caught up in your pride or your anger or your lusts or your desires, getting your own stuff, what you want. And so when you pray, when you look back, just recognize you do need forgiveness. We all do. Every single day, we need to forgive and we need to receive forgiveness. It's like this two-part thing, isn't it? It's like Jesus says, like, ask for forgiveness for what you have done, but also forgive others. And often the forgiving others is the hardest part, isn't it? Like we're actually told that you can't fully receive the forgiveness of the kingdom of God unless you actually are prepared to offer it to other people. Forgiveness is this radical countercultural kingdom value. You know, I worked in the car industry. There was not a lot of forgiveness on show, I can tell you. There was a lot of poli- positioning and politics and explaining things away when they didn't work out right. There was not a lot of us saying sorry and getting forgiveness along the way. But Jesus says you can't actually really fully ask God's kingdom to come unless you are a forgiven person who will forgive. The kingdom comes through love and forgiveness, where we realize we're not actually as good as we think we are, but the people around us are not as good either, but Jesus comes to bring forgiveness to us. Forgiveness matters. And I was reminded of this story of Corrie Ten Boom. Um, Some of you may have heard of her. She was a Dutch Christian who lived through the Second World War. And her and her family would take in Jews who were at risk of imprisonment. And for years, they did that until finally they were discovered by the Nazis. And the Nazis took Corrie and her sister and her dad and other members of the family into Ravensburg concentration camp. And they were abused and they were tortured and they were hated, spat on, they were made to walk around naked in public spaces. Corrie's sister and dad were brutally murdered by the Nazis. But Corrie survived, and after the war, she became um, a missionary throughout Europe. And one night, she was invited to go and speak at an event in Germany. Um, and this little video shows what happened.
1: It was some time ago that I was in Berlin and there came a man to me and said, Ah, Mr. Bom, I am glad to see you. Don't you know me? And suddenly I saw that man that was one of the most cruel overseers, guards, in the concentration in concentration camp. And that man said, I am now a Christian, I have found the Lord Jesus, I read my Bible and I know that there is forgiveness for all the sins of the whole world, also for my sins. I have forgiveness for the cruelties I have done. But then I have asked God grace for an opportunity that I could ask one of my very victims forgiveness. And Freulein Tambom, Will you forgive me? And I could not. I remembered the suffering of my dying sister through him. I could only hate him. And then I took one of these beautiful texts, one of these boundless resources, Romans 5.5. 5, the love of God is shed brought into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And I said, thank you, Jesus, that you have brought into my heart God's love through the Holy Spirit who is given to me. And thank you, Father, that your love is stronger than my hatred and unforgiveness. That same moment, I was free. And I could say, brother, give me your hand. And I shook hands with him. And it was as if I felt God's love stream through my arms. You never touch so the ocean of God's love as that you forgive your, 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 your enemies. Can you forgive? No, I can't either. But he can.
0: Can you forgive? No, but he can. We're invited to center ourselves with our today's needs, look back for what we've done that needs forgiveness. But then finally, we do look forward. We do. But it's not a prayer forward like you would expect or like the ones, honestly, I sometimes pray. It is a prayer to stay within the center of God's will in his kingdom. Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Like the prayer for tomorrow is a prayer of kingdom orientation. What Jesus is recognizing is that there are more than one kingdoms that work in the world. That there is a kingdom of goodness, of love, of beauty, of truth. There is God's kingdom which is coming into the world. But there is also a kingdom of darkness, of evil, of sinfulness and brokenness. I think it's a kingdom we've seen a lot of on the news this last week a kingdom of destruction. And so when Jesus says to his people, pray for tomorrow, he doesn't actually say, ask God to give you everything that you need in and out burger for the next 10 years or stack loads of cash or everything you want. He just basically says, pray that you can stay within the kingdom of God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's like his recognition that even though we don't have to be scared of the kingdom of darkness, We never have to be scared of it. As John Calvin says, the whole of Satan's kingdom is already subject to the authority of Christ. But that it is real. And it will try every day to pull us off course. Jesus talks about his way being a narrow way. And that the devil will always try and tempt us, like lead us little by little decisions away from what he wants to pull us outside of his kingdom. Yet Jesus just simply prays, Deliver us from temptation and from evil. Our invitation tomorrow is an invitation and a prayer to stay firmly on the pathway of the kingdom. And I think it's a hard calling. I think it's a hard calling. It's one that requires daily choice. It's one where we have to get up in the morning and say, God, today could I be in your kingdom? Today, God, it's not my story, it's yours. Today, it's not my resources, they're yours. Today, this thing is so far beyond me, but you can, and you're capable. And I think when we do that, actually the results are spectacular, they are. What is possible is so far beyond what we can do because it's his power at work and it's not ours. It's his plans being formed and it's not ours. It's his time frame being worked out and it's not ours. Like it's totally different to what you probably expect. But Monday morning and Wednesday lunchtime and Friday night become these moments where the power of God can break in. Amen? And it's incredible to watch it. Um, and so as I close, just... Uh, A couple of resources on the screen if you find prayer really hard because this is about prayer it's about the relationship if you want to take a picture of those no qr codes but there are some resources that i use every single day to help me along my story about my journey for prayer but as i do close i want to actually read you the proper words from the song history maker because I realized as I looked at them this week, I might have been a bit harsh on Martin and the boys because the words of the song history maker are actually incredibly powerful for today. And this is how they go. Is it true today that when people pray, cloudless skies will break and kings and queens will shake? Yes, it's true. And I believe it. I'm living for you. Is it true today that when people pray, we'll see dead men rise and the blind set free? Yes, it's true, and I believe it. I'm living for you. I'm going to be a history maker in this land. I'm going to be a speaker of truth to all mankind. I'm going to stand, and I'm going to run into your arms, into your arms again, into your arms, into your arms again. Well, it's true today that when people stand with the fire of God and the truth in hand, we'll see miracles, we'll see angels sing, we'll see broken hearts making history. Yes, it's true, and I believe it. We're living for you. We're living for you. Wherever you are, if you'd like to and you're able, would you like to stand as we pray? And I'm just going to put the reading back up on the screen, the Lord's Prayer. And as an act of submission, as an act of prayer, as an act of response, I'm going to invite you, if you want to, um, to pray it out loud where you are, to pray it confidently and boldly and mean it as your own prayer. So let's have a moment of silence and then we'll, we'll pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Thank you, Lord. So Father, as we think of tomorrow morning and we recognize the challenges, the temptations, we recognize our own frailties and our weakness, we pray, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit and recenter us onto the pathway of your kingdom. Forgive us for our sins and our brokenness of yesterday. Today, provide just what we need for today and tomorrow, keep us away from the evil one and keep evil away from us, we pray.